0: Thank you. classic movies live
1: the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out i'm jeff and i'm pierre
0: on today's episode we'll be continuing our kicking it with kendrick retrospective series with episode 11 if you're new to the series consider checking out the first 10 episodes wherein we talked about a range of movies featuring anna kendrick in supporting roles While you're there, you can check out my personal favorite kickin' episode, which is episode six, in which we reviewed Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, as well as the entire Pitch Perfect trilogy. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Joe Swanberg's 2014 movie, Happy Christmas, which is a low-budget, largely improvised mumblecore film about a sister visiting her brother for the holidays, with Anna Kendrick starring alongside Swanberg. As well, we'll be discussing Kendrick's other Christmas film, Noelle, Directed by Mark Lawrence and released to Disney Plus in 2019, Noel also features a girl visiting her brother for Christmas, except that the brother is now Bill Hader and the siblings are now Santa's kids.
1: But of course, before we begin, I'd like to welcome first-time Classic Movies Lives guests Dakota Arsenault and Rachel Ho. Dakota is the host of Contra Zoom Pod, where he goes back and forth about film with a variety of guests. Ongoing series include Make Slash Remake and Director's Rank, among others. We've actually also guested on his podcast in episode 147, where we discussed Judas and the Black Messiah and Mank. And Rachel is a frequent co-host of the ContraZoom pod and has appeared on every episode of the show's A24 retrospective series. She also writes for exclaim.ca, thatshelf.com, and POV Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Dakota and Rachel.
2: Hello, thanks for having us.
3: That introduction sounded really familiar, Jeff. Did I write that introduction? (laughs) I, I don't know. Did you write that introduction? I don't know. It sounds very familiar to me. Yeah, wow, that was that was very <laughs> impressive. And and I, I just sort of have to laugh because recently we had a guest on and Rachel was handling introduction duties. This is a little behind the scenes stuff. And she felt weird researching about our guest, basically cyber stalking him in order <laughs> to read out his uh, background. And there we have Pierre doing the exact same thing about Rachel. So Rachel, how does that feel to you?
1: I don't
2: mind getting stalked. I mean, I shouldn't put that out in the world. But I mean, it's really creepy when you're like looking up people's shit online and then they know about it. Usually you do it and they don't know about it. So it's usually like an anonymity thing. But yeah, I I did feel really weird about that. I wasn't (laughs) Wasn't happy about it.
0: Thank you for coming on the podcast, first of all. Thanks for having us. I guess the biggest question that I have for you guys is, are you excited to talk about Anna Kendrick? Do you have a Do you have a history with Anna Kendrick at all? Uh, not really, to
2: be completely honest. No, sorry. I should say not really. Not that I'm not excited to talk about. Not really. <laughs> don't have a history with Anna Kendrick. Yeah, she's always just kind of been an actress that's there. I don't have any strong feelings about her one way or the other. I don't hate her. I think she's actually pretty good. Like, I actually really like her as an actress, but if I see her in a movie, I don't necessarily go running out to catch the latest Anna Kendrick movie.
3: Yeah, I sort of feel similarly to Rachel there. Yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll kind of talk about our experiences with her uh, as as we sort of go on. But yeah, she's, she's someone that's sort of there. She's neither a selling point nor a detraction for me choosing to watch a movie. She just sort of exists. And, and I have some stuff that, I have some theories about her that when we when we move on to other sections I'll kind of talk about them but yeah she's okay I I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a super Anna Kendrick fan or anything like that she's just she's just sort of there for me
0: in the in the episodes we've done so far So uh, some regular listeners may remember that a while ago we did a series about Leonardo DiCaprio and Leonardo DiCaprio was always a leading man. And what I found really nice about doing that series is that we could basically segment his career into fairly distinct sections. And like, they're always him as a leading man. So you're always getting a lot of Leo and he's usually intended if to be the draw of the movie, even in movies where, he isn't actually the lead. I think we talked about one supporting performance that was, um, that was in Django Unchained. And he was still a big draw for that movie. Uh, with Anna Kendrick, it's been a little more difficult to plan out these episodes. And um, now with episode 10, we're only just starting to get into movies where she is the leading lady of the movie. I think we had roughly eight episodes where she was a supporting character. And I felt really bad in some of those episodes where, you know, we have an entire section of each episode talking about how was Anna Kendrick in this movie. Well, she was only in it for five minutes.
2: I think though, that's like typical of most actors. Like that's the path Mm -hmm. that they'll take. They'll start off in the supporting and then gradually move on as if they're good. Right. Mm -hmm. Leo, I think maybe because he started off when he was so young, by the time he reached, how old was he in Titanic and like Romeo and Juliet? He was a teenager, right? Was he? Uh,
0: I think he was very yeah. early twenties.
2: Right. So by the time he reaches that, like he's so young, and probably that was around the time that Anna Kendrick was really getting started in her. And mm-hmm. like I would, I would say Anna Kendrick's probably more the common path versus Leo, who is a bit of an anomaly, which is why mm-hmm. he's Leo.
3: Well, you can also sort of like count on maybe one-hand total or two-hands total of, like, current actors today that only do leading parts and never do supporting. And then, like, you have people like, I would say maybe, like, Brad Pitt and Matt Damon who don't mind showing up in, like, very small bit parts cameos, you know, show up for only a few scenes, do their day call sort of Mm. thing, whereas actors like Leo, they're like, I'm the star of the movie. It's the sort of Will Smith sort of thing where... Or even Denzel, I think... I read that Denzel Washington's last supporting role was something in, like, 1988 or 1989. Ever since then, he's never not been the lead of the film that has the most screen time. So Leo's sort of in that same Mm -hmm. realm, where other than Django Unchained, and I haven't seen it yet, but Don't Look Up is more of an ensemble film. Obviously, he's the lead in that coming out, but, like, still, he's done a few like that where he's a bit of an ensemble lead. He's just one of those actors who's able to do that, whereas Anna Kendrick still even when she's leading a movie, she's never the only star. Mm-hmm.
0: So actually, we have a series of questions here that I don't think Pierre and I have ever answered these questions on this show in this exact format. We've, all, we've, we've talked about the content of these questions, more or less. But uh, we figured that a good way to sort of introduce you guys to the show would be to ask you guys a couple of questions about Anna Kendrick and just your, I I keep saying experience, but like your, (laughs) yeah, your experience with Anna Kendrick. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is uh, what are your top three Anna Kendrick performances? And normally when I ask this of our guests, I always say me and Pierre will also answer this, but we're going to restrict it to only the movies we've talked about so far. So That'll come up eventually, but you guys do not have to feel restricted to only the movies Pierre and I have talked about. Whoever wants to start,
2: men
3: first. I'll start. Obviously. Okay, I'll start.
0: That's, what, that's how it should be, right?
3: <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, Rachel. No I really appreciate that. I'm, You're so I'm kind. gracious. If anything, <laughs> I often say that about you. Uh, yeah, this was this is a bit of an interesting one because I think I've only seen maybe ten or eleven of her films. And I haven't really seen a ton of her leading performances, so it's a little tricky. So I would say, number one, probably Up in the Air, that was the first movie of hers that I have seen. I knew about her previously as being in Twilight, but I hadn't seen any of the Twilight movies at this time. So it was a little surprising where it's like, hey, look, this this girl might actually get nominated for an Oscar sort of thing. Um, but that was one that I really enjoy. And then uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I'm a little biased because I absolutely adore that movie. That's one of my all-time favorite films. Probably in my top five to ten range. Uh, one I'm very fond of. And and I had just finished listening to your episode on that. I had I couldn't listen anymore due to uh, the the heresy that Pierre was saying about uh, it not being the greatest movie ever made. So I'm so
1: sorry, sorry Pierre.
3: <laughs> but like I, I really agreed with what you the both of you were saying were like she shows up in a very small part but every time she's in her scene she really knocks it out of the park uh it makes it very memorable and then the last one I would probably say is actually her voice work in Paranorman I think she does a really interesting job of you know playing a character that she normally usually plays with maybe a much better script and a unique sort of character arc for her, uh, I I really adore that movie. That's probably one of my all time favorite animated films. So this this is something that's a little tricky because it's hard to it's hard to separate movies I love with performances of hers that I think are really solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are probably maybe three of the top five performances of hers I would say. But they're also some of my favorite films. One of them I think I think Happy Christmas was actually a really good performance that probably just missed the cut for me.
0: Okay. And uh, Rachel, spoiler alert. Um, so I had two
2: of the three same ones, so that's kind of not that interesting. <laughs> um, but I'll, great taste, yeah, fair enough. So I go Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um, I really love that movie too. I think it's it's a nice Toronto movie as well. It's like very heavily mm-hmm. into the Toronto scene at that time. And Kendrick, she's great in it, you know, very small role, just like exactly what Dakota said. Like, and and you guys said it's small role, but she stands out. Um, and it's a very kind of Almost stereotypical Anna Kendrick type of performance, I guess. Uh, Up in the Air is the other one I chose. I really, really love that movie. That's one of my all-time favorite movies, and she, that was also my first movie that I've ever seen with Anna. Kend- I didn't know who she was before that movie, to be completely honest. I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, there's that, there's a young person with George Clooney." Um, okay, but it's a great movie, and she's amazing in it. Um, I really love her character. I love the role that they gave her, and I think her execution of it was like, perfect. And I, did she get nominated for an Oscar for that? I she think. did. She did, yeah. Incredibly well-deserved. Like, that was a really great one. Um, the other one I picked, which is where Dakota and I Deviate, was 50-50. I really, really, really like that movie. She's incredible as the, uh, she's the therapist in it. A supporting role as well, like, it's obviously it's uh, Jonathan, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's movie, it's Seth Rogen's movie, but uh, Anna Kendrick where when she is on the screen. She, I think she pulls focus and her character is quite important. And I think she's quite good at picking roles where her character actually is important to the movie versus just mm-hmm. a bit of a throwaway you know, side character or whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I think she chooses really good
0: roles, even if they're not leading. But yeah, those were my three. Up in the Air, fifty fifty. Scott Pilgrim. I've said it before, but it's going to be really exciting when we finally talk about Up in the Air on this show, mm-hmm. because I think in all of our guests, and this is a very guest-heavy show, we've had maybe two that didn't have Up in the Air in their top three, and we still can't comment on it because I haven't seen it since it came out, and like we didn't watch it for the show Don't
3: you dare share your opinion yet.
0: (laughs) Oh, I won't, I definitely won't. And uh, (laughs) speaking of which, uh, Dakota, you might want to not listen to our Paranorman episode.
3: (laughs) Oh, oh no. (laughs)
1: Pierre, sorry. (laughs) are we no longer going to be able to be friends? It's starting to look that way in some ways.
0: No, you guys won't be friends because of Scott Pilgrim. We won't be friends because of Paranorman. Even though I love that movie, I think we're going to have very different opinions on it.
3: Oh, no. (laughs) I'm hitting unsubscribe on my Spotify uh, follow right now.
0: No, please. So, actually, I think both of you basically already answered this. But the next question that I had for you was, what was your introduction to Anna Kendrick? Which i think you both already said was up in the air basically Mm -hmm. yeah
2: i mean it's that movie it's interesting for like i know you guys haven't done it yet but it's interesting for many reasons like it's one of the few movies that comes out at a time when there's a really big change going on in the world and it actually captures the change versus doing it 10 15 years later Mm -hmm. and it didn't feel kind of distasteful it doesn't feel cheap or anything like that and I personally really liked her in it because that character kind of represents the that younger generation that was just getting into the workforce around the recession time, which is my generation. Like that was my age group mm-hmm. after we graduated university. It was around then. So that idea of her being like overly keen, I think her last name is Keener in the movie, but thought was really funny because she's super, super keen and she's, you know, thinking about all these like fun ways to, not fun ways to fire people, but like innovative ways that she thinks are are going to help her kind of move up the corporate ladder. And mm-hmm. I actually just watched it not too long ago. Like during lockdown, I, I rewatched it. And yeah, it still holds up. It's a great movie. And she, like, again, she's excellent in it.
3: Yeah, I don't think I've seen it since it it came out or maybe once not long after. Uh, but yeah, that, that was the first time I'd seen her and, and I'd never really seen anything else of her. So it, it kind of really was like, oh, who is this actor? I've never seen them yeah. in. And I think- I'm going to get into this a little bit later. Her shtick hadn't uh, worn old on me yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Which is definitely going to come up when we start talking about Noelle.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, just moving right along. Our third question, and this is a little bit of a weird one, but for those people that have picked up on what I'm doing, this, is, this might seem kind of familiar, uh, what is a film role that you guys think Anna Kendrick would work well in, but that she hasn't done before? Actually, what you said, Dakota, about her shtick wearing thin. I think, uh, I think that's going to make this answer actually a lot more interesting than I originally thought. But I'm going to start with Rachel anyway.
2: Ladies first, hey?
0: I went with
2: I, I actually same like as Dakota's like going against type for Anna Kendrick because I think we've seen her type many many times now. I maybe it was because we've just done a lot of film noir stuff. Um, I picked like doing a film noir movie because I actually think her face suits very well for film noir, and I, yeah, I think she'd be really kind of cool in something like a femme fatale role, like just a bit more serious. If she lowered her voice like a like a little an octave, maybe kind of like a Lauren Bacall thing, I think that'd be kind of <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I, I that to me would be the most interesting thing. Like if you told me Anna Kendrick was doing a film noir movie, I'd be game to watch it. That would be the one time I'd say, "Oh, I will watch that Anna Kendrick movie because of Anna Kendrick."
3: Interesting. I feel like I'm I'm sort of on a similar wavelength. I, this is a really tough question to answer uh, because it's so difficult to really envision a different performer in a role that's already been done, especially if if, if it's already done very well. Mm-hmm. So I thought about this one for a while, and I sort of feel like Anna Kendrick reminds me a lot of Jennifer Lawrence in the sense of, for, for a few different ways. One, they both have this very public perception of them, you know, being sort of like the internet's quirky girlfriend sort of thing. And they sort of both came up as similar time really saturated in the media to the point where Jennifer Lawrence got a little oversaturated and she sort of realized that and was getting a bit of backlash and took a step back for a couple of years Is only now just sort of starting to get back into acting. Mm -hmm. And I feel Anna Kendrick, if she was in the same lead roles as Jennifer Lawrence, I think the public perception would maybe be a little bit similar. And Anna Kendrick, despite the fact that she has done some sort of serious roles, I don't consider herself a serious actor Mm -hmm. in any real regard. Because even when she is in a quote-unquote dramatic film, she usually has a lot of snark or sarcasm, uh, almost in an Aubrey Plaza sort of way as well, where it's really hard to take Aubrey Plaza seriously a lot of times. So even when she does do her interesting dramatic stuff, I'm also like a little hesitant on getting on board with it. But for this, I would say it would be interesting to see Anna Kendrick in something like Winter's Bone. I think Jennifer Lawrence did such a great job with that. And I don't think Anna Kendrick could pull that same performance off. But I love to see her. We we got it a little bit in Happy Christmas, this sort of like stripped down version of her where a lot of her her character ticks were able to be taken away and she was able to be someone a little bit different. I would love to sort of see something like that where she gets a little dirty and nasty and doesn't play by the rules and doesn't always have flawless hair and perfectly white teeth and, you know, a beautiful beaming smile sort of thing. I'd like to sort of see something a little bit more out there from her. Like, obviously, I don't think she'd be able to do like a Charlize Theron and do a monster sort of role, but maybe something like a Winter's Bone where you get you put her in a more of a precarious situation and see what she can
0: do. Mm hmm. Have either of you seen elsewhere? No, that's actually probably the closest to what you described. At least that we've watched so far. It's uh, it's Anna Kendrick in sort of a it, it's kind of like a high school detective movie, except it's it's not actually very good. But it is like a lot <laughs> more. It is a lot more stripped down in that way. Although it was very early into her career, and I don't know that the director was able to pull the things out of that movie i wish he could have i guess as you're saying that i'm trying to imagine that with a director with a little more experience maybe even the same director at this point because that was probably 15 years ago and he's been directing since yeah i think something like that would maybe be interesting to uh see done again and i guess our, our last question you guys have basically already touched on this one too I wanted to ask, what do you think makes an Anna Kendrick performance? And I I think we've basically already gotten that that answer. Um, But Dakota, go ahead.
3: I have a few different adjectives that I haven't really said about her. (laughs) Uh And it would be things like cutesy, bubbly, childlike, even to the point where I almost consider her performances to be sort of fairly asexual, where she's not someone who, like, yes, she's a very attractive person, but, like, you rarely sort of see her in, like, a in a very romantic relationship where she's got, like, a very intense sexual chemistry with her, her on-screen partner. I think, once again, the closest thing so far that I've seen from her is in something like Happy Christmas, which, obviously, this is going to be the subject of, of today's episode, but, like, I haven't really seen anything like that from her since then, before, or after.
0: She's got a, she's got kind of a cool younger sister vibe.
3: Yeah, yeah, where it's, like, like it's, it's weird. You, you don't like think of baby like, Oh yeah. And, and like, yeah, my buddy hooked up with with Anna the other night at the, at the party Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Like you, you don't really get that vibe from her sort of thing. And so like, it's, it's, I don't know how to really explain it, but it just sort of seems where, I don't know if it's her or the directors or the movies who chooses, but it sort of like stops short of ever making her what seems like a, a, a real romantic partner, a real love interest sort of thing for, for other people. And, You're just like, oh yeah, Anna Kendrick, yeah, she's on her own, sort of thing, Mm -hmm. and like that's cool, that's fine. It's just that's what I sort of expect when I sort of see performances from her.
0: Okay,
2: and uh, Rachel. The adjectives I had written down are fast talking, quippy, slightly socially awkward, the manic pixie dream girl, but awkward. That was kind of what I (laughs) like to me. She's yeah, exactly what you guys said. She's kind of teetering on being annoying but not annoying like she kind of balances that well I feel like you go a step further she'd be super annoying Mm -hmm. but yeah I think it's that that kind of just really awkward you know kind of cheeky kind of girl who's is like your best girlfriend but also kind of can get down with the guys that seems to me what she is
0: Pierre I think the word that we've used the most on this podcast is charismatic like We use that word like probably five times every single podcast, minimum.
1: Yeah, she has a very unique charisma. I wouldn't say she's always like popping out for attention, but she does bring like a certain warmth to the screen that I guess serves her well in her career so far.
0: All right, well, with those four questions, I think more than anything, that's given us quite a lot to talk about, especially when we get to Happy Christmas. It seems like uh, you have a lot to say about that movie, Dakota, so... A little bit. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. We'll do a very quick ad break here, and then when we come back, we will talk about Happy Christmas and then Noelle. Hello, I'm Mark, co-director for the upcoming Academy of Death Races Festival 2022. The AODR Festival is an international online celebration of some of the year's best short films, as well as showcasing some great upcoming talent in LGBT filmmaking. Join us from January 14th to the 30th to see award-winning films from all around the world that have been shown at Cannes, South by Southwest, Tribeca, Sundance, London, Toronto, LA and more. You can grab your full festival pass now for only $15 over at aodr.net. Don't miss your opportunity to see the best short films of the year before the Oscars at aodr.net.
1: Welcome back to kicking it with kendrick we have just finished discussing anna kendrick's massive filmography with our two guests and now we're talking about well i, I guess it's almost christmas time so it's fitting that what a coincidence we're also talking about christmas movies we have yeah happy yeah, christmas, christmas which came out in 2014 starring anna kendrick is she is she the main lead is that
0: i think so i mean she's okay. she shares the lead with joe swanberg and melissa something melanie linsky melanie linsky melanie linsky not melissa not melissa at all
1: yeah um which was a i guess i i didn't i've never heard of this term before but mumblecore movie i just i just looked it up and it's an interesting term i haven't i don't think i've seen another movie like it, or like as a mumblecore film i don't know if any of you have any like famous suggestions for mumblecore
2: no, but I so I was the same thing. I was looking up this movie and I was looking at uh, Joe Swanberg. I think it's a director's mm-hmm. name. And in his wiki, it says like he's known for Mumblecore. And my first thought was, oh, I didn't know he did music as well. I thought it was like a mumble. Rock <laughs> like <that."> I was <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. And I clicked on. I'm like, oh, it's a type of movie. I don't know why they call it Mumblecore though, because there's it's not just mumbling.
3: Oh, it's because they they mumble in them. Most famously, there's probably like the Duplass brothers who, uh, who've who done movies. Lena Dunham's first film, who's also in, in this movie, Happy Christmas. Her movie, Tiny Furniture, is similarly like that. Greta Gerwig's early stuff, especially with Noah Baumbach, uh, that sort of mumble corey. It really just sort of implies that because it's improvised, they're not really speaking clearly and sometimes don't really have real things that they're saying so they just kind of mumble it out uh so yeah i'm I'm really not
2: convinced by that but (laughs) i
0: think i think on the wikipedia page that i was reading for mumblecore it also just said that that many influential mumblecore directors reject that term and like yeah i get it because it's not very descriptive doesn't really mean much i get what they're trying like it's meant to say it's just like improvisational
2: right like it's just kind of more natural and it's more like realistic i suppose but I mean,
3: I would say that Marlon Brando is mumblecore.
2: That's the thing. People just mumble. (laughs) like It's just Mm -hmm. a way of talking (laughs) and they're actors.
1: It reminded me a lot of how they film Always Sunny in Philadelphia, especially at the start. Lots of kind of people talking over Mm. each other, uh, repetitive dialogue that like, because you can tell they're trying to come up with something more to say, stuff like that, Um, and very basic camera angles, I guess. (laughs) Thanks again for driving up early today, man. Easy, not a problem. It would've been fun to listen to this stuff tonight, but my yeah. sister broke up with her boyfriend and she wants to live in Chicago now, so. Mm-hmm.
3: Not
0: good. Come on in. Hi,
3: Dada. Hi, baby, look, Hi. guess who's here. It's so to It's, so to, see it's so to see you. Your
1: turn. No. No. What are you doing tomorrow afternoon? Think you could babysit for a few hours? Yeah, Stay out as long as you want.
3: Baby, I'm
0: stealing her for one second. Are you having a good time? <laughs> yes. Jenny. Ow! Jenny. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. So Pierre, you haven't told us what you oh, think of this movie.
1: Did I? Oh, did, wait. Should we say what it was about? <laughs> I mean, there wasn't wasn't much about it. But Anna Kendrick's character is living with her brother's family. Mm -hmm. the christmas Uh, and that's basically it's basically and then i don't know i guess that's the extent of the christmasiness of the movie because yeah and it's just about them trying to get along i guess and her growing Mm -hmm. as a person i thought it was interesting like again i don't think i've seen too many movies like this whether i liked it i don't really think i liked it it was (laughs) kind of boring if I'm going to be honest I respect the style though and I think it was very I guess it just captures how it captures on another level like just how awkward the holidays can be I guess or just life in general yeah I I really wish though that this I think this style could have worked a lot better with maybe more chemistry between the leads or more charismatic leads but that it might have also detracted from what the director was going for which was just pure kind of awkwardness I guess so yeah no
0: script only vibes
1: exactly yeah (laughs) so i don't know how i feel about that
2: that should be the name of the genre no script only vibes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah anna did it work for you guys
2: i liked it i actually thought it was pretty good it's like it's very slice of life like there's not not same. not much happens but it's just kind of you're following along with this younger girl whose life's kind of in a shambles contrast to her her brother who's married, has a young kid and kind of on his way in his life. So, um, and there's obviously, I think that at one point they talk about, there's quite an age gap between them. I'm a really big fan of Melanie Linsky. I've never seen her act in her New Zealand accent before. So that was kind of cool, like to actually see her just be able to speak naturally. At first I thought she slipped her accent because she said something Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh shit. Like I've never heard her not do her American just perfectly. Um, but then turns out, yeah, she's just playing a New Zealander in it, which I thought was really cool. I like the I like the the atmosphere of it. Like, they filmed it on, I think it was 16mm film stock, and it looks beautiful. Like, mm. I really, really liked... This is really kind of pretentious film stuff, but, like, I really liked, like, the grain of the film, and I just thought it lent it a nice, almost retro quality, which went with the fonts that they were using um, for mm-hmm. the title, for the title cards and things like that. So I think that was really nice and cohesive the story itself is pretty basic i mean it's you know a young girl who's a bit lost and finding her way happens to take place over christmas but yeah overall i i liked i thought melanie linsky was was great in it anna kendrick's good in it too it is very a typical kind of anna kendrick performance but not as bouncy does that make sense she's (laughs) not as bouncy in it as other ones Mm -hmm. But yeah, overall, I would say I liked it more than I didn't like it. But I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be like my top favorite movie or anything like, like it didn't kick off any of my top three, like up in the air, Fifty Fifty, Scott Pilgrim. So, but I, I did really enjoy the movie. I thought it was a good one. And I never even heard of it. I was like, oh, wow, I don't know how this skipped through, but it made me want to look up like more movies that Joe Swanberg, had, uh, or Swan Song? Swanberg. Swanberg, Swanberg yeah. Right, thank yeah. you. Um, That he had done, because I just thought it was interesting. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you'll be able to see more Anna Kendrick if you watch more Joe Swanberg because she's done a few more movies with him. I think she's in three, um, maybe four. Yeah, I I found this movie quite interesting. It sort of took me a little bit to get into the vibe of it. Like it, it's you you put it on and you're like, oh, it's a movie starring Anna Kendrick and Melanie Linsky, two pretty well known people in Hollywood. And then there's quite a few other you know well known people like Mark Webber who is in Scott Pilgrim. Uh, And a few other people where you're just like, oh, yeah, I recognize these people. So you sort of have an expectation of a certain level of quality, I guess you would say, of it just at the beginning you're you're watching in the first few scenes. I'm like, oh, this kind of feels like a student film project. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell when they're yelling action and cut where they're like, okay, as soon as I say action, that's when you start walking and that's when you start talking. (laughs) And not like we're sort of joining the middle of whatever is happening on in these characters lives. It's like, great, this is now when we're starting it. So it was a little, it, it took me probably about 15, 20 minutes to actually like settle into the vibe of it. And not to mention the fact that because it was on film stock, it has a really gritty look, texture to it. And and more often than not, when when movies are shot on film, they usually have really impeccable lighting. And because this movie is basically using just natural lighting, which is to put it mildly, like ugly fluorescent light bulbs Mm -hmm. that you have in your house or in offices and and, and things like that, it doesn't have a great look on the film. Although once I settled into it, I was able to sort of appreciate it. And then as far as the Anna Kendrick side of things go, I think I'm going to disagree with Rachel where I don't think I've seen anything like this from her. She was as close to being... Not this movie star persona, uh, not this perfect person where she was allowed to be flawed and a little bit ugly and, and not that great of a person where I've never seen that in anything else that she's ever done. So it, it was very unique for me to be able to sort of see that. And, and I really appreciate that from her. And I much like how earlier I was saying one of the, the descriptions I would use to say are asexual, I thought her chemistry with Mark Weber was was pretty terrific. I really enjoyed it. And, and Rachel, I think, disagrees with me.
2: Yeah, so the asexual thing just made me laugh again. This all <laughs> I, I don't
3: know how else to word that. She's just, a girl. <laughs> like, she's just
2: there. <laughs> like, she's just. I know. There. I know. I
3: don't. I don't know how else to sort of say that. Where like I just don't. I can't see her leading a uh, romantic comedy, and you know, the two leads having great chemistry together, like classic romantic comedies or whatever. I'll say. I mean, I'm at a loss for
2: words. I think she's an actress that, while, like, very pretty and, and, you know, very attractive looking, I don't think she rides off of her appearance to, like, that's not the kind of roles Mm. that she gets. And I think because, Mm. I mean, obviously very attractive, very pretty, but I think there is, like, a quirkiness to her appearance as well that it isn't full-on glam. Like, a Scarlett Johansson can't get away with just, you know, especially when she was younger. She was always, like, the really glam kind of girl. So I think that Anna Kendrick, in a sense, has that where she doesn't have to be sexualized because she's just allowed yeah. to exist because she doesn't. Yeah, and it. I'm
3: not trying to like denigrate that and be like, oh, she needs to, you know, be more sexy in her movies. No, that's pretty just much what you're saying. That, that Dakota, just... and you know, it's sexist <laughs> is what that is. <laughs> oh, ouch! Sorry, Rachel. It just sort of seems like a lot of the movie parts that she chooses are are similar yeah. in the regards of. I would say more similar to the character in Noel than something in Happy Christmas.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, fair. When we get to it, I wondered if in noel that she would get together with the male lead in that but i wasn't shocked that she didn't and that's sort of the sort of expectation i have where it was a little bit different with happy christmas where i was like oh wow they're like really going on it. like it's a very aggressive make out that they're doing and and stuff like that where i've never really seen that from her before
2: i don't know anna kendrick but i feel like happy christmas is like closer to who she might be as an actual person because it's like her personality yeah. but like taken down a few notches and just a bit more normal. So I kind of feel like maybe that's
0: it's a bit closer to her. But yeah, Jeff, what do you think of the movie though? I really liked the way the movie was shot. And I really liked the opening title sequence. The opening title sequence was really, really good. I didn't much care for the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, like, I think, so part of the way through this movie, I figured out, because I read it while I was watching the movie, that all the dialogue in this movie was improvised. And while I think that that may help Anna Kendrick's performance a bit, or as you said, Rachel, it felt closer to probably who she is as a person. Uh, she's, she's very naturally charismatic, but she's not having to dial up the quirkiness or anything. She's just sort of saying what she should be saying in the moment because it's basically improvised. Uh, I think that helped her performance, but I don't think that helped the movie. Personally, I kind of hated most of the improvised stuff because I don't think it really worked. And I think the biggest scene for me that really is emblematic of that is there's a scene where Anna Kendrick is sitting on her computer downstairs and Joe Swanberg comes in and doesn't know what he has to say. So he just kind of sits there for a while. And then about two (laughs) or three minutes in after like unbroken silence, he goes... You don't with those dishes, and then he takes them away. And if that was a scripted scene, I think that scene would have been brilliant because what it is is it—you know—it shows us that he and his sister aren't—they uh, are kind of distant from each other. He doesn't know how to communicate with her, and finally, he just kind of gives up and takes her dishes away. And I think that as a scripted scene, that's great. Knowing that it's improvised, uh, it comes across as he got into the scene, didn't know what to say, and gave up. And like, if that's what his character does, that's one thing. But like, knowing that this movie's improvised, it feels like that's what he did as a person. And it's like, I find there's a lot of work that goes into making movies traditionally. It feels like a lot of this, like not a lot of work went into making this one comparatively. But I also don't mean that as like this movie was effortless. I feel like this movie was lazy in a lot of places, not exclusively bad, just like, I guess it more often didn't work for me than it did, I would say.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. There's For me, there's a scene early on, the movie sort of opens where, where Anna Kendrick's character gets into town and starts living with her brother and his wife and their infant child. And on the first night, she goes out to a party and gets extremely drunk at this party to the point where the brother has to be called to come and pick her up to bring her back home. And all that sort of stuff works out, but it's the scene after when the wife and the husband are arguing where when you take improv classes and things like that it's like okay how can you take the scene to the next level how can you get the most out of your emotions and sort of seemed Mm -hmm. like that scene especially with Melanie Linsky was just like okay we're gonna we're gonna turn up the intensity to 11 and sort of stay there and and I thought that that they were like coming down on her way too hard so early where it's like oh she went out and had A bad night of drinking, yeah, you know, that's not a a cool thing to do when you're, you know, past, you know, the age of 19, 20 years old, whatever it is, and and we have a child at home, so we need to be careful around that, but it sort of seemed like she was trying to hammer that point a little too hard, and then they kept coming back to that same point of, well, we can't trust her because she got really drunk that one night. And they sort of just kept coming back to that one point of she got drunk that one night. And like, yeah, I know we got that. Like, is, is there any other reason that you can't trust her? Has she shown anything else? But that sort of seemed like that's they're like, OK, here's the objective of the scene is you can't trust her. Leave her alone with your kid. Why? And they just sort of keep going back to that same point over and over again, because there's no other examples that they can use that she isn't trustworthy enough to stay home or be around their child.
0: It feels like um, the out al- the Anna Kendrick is an alcoholic a- angle was like added long after they started shooting because they keep yeah. coming back to it, but that doesn't ever really come across in her character except for two instances in the movie where she has a wild night of drinking and like she's also you know she's going through a lot during both of those instances, so it doesn't really. It doesn't really communicate to me that she is an alcoholic. It communicates to me that she's got an issue on both of those days.
2: I also felt, I don't know about you guys. I thought that there was something in her past that was going to be revealed at some point. Like something, Mm -hmm. either she was actually an alcoholic or um, Mm -hmm. when she goes to buy drugs, I thought, oh, she's like a cokehead or something like that. And then turned out to just be weed. And I was like, oh, that's not that. Like I thought, I I really (laughs) thought that there was something that was behind her that was going to be more, I don't want to say more traumatic, but just something that gave a reason, like you said, Dakota, like why she was considered to be irresponsible. And maybe there was some, I don't know, dark secret she was keeping from them or something like, or some, or a dark secret that they just didn't talk about or something like that. And I thought that that was kind of how they were going to wind it up in the end. And then now that you're saying that, I realize I thought that in the movie and then it never came, but I never actually went back to that thought. I really thought in the middle of the movie, I'm like, oh, they're going to reveal something. And then, yeah, it just mm-hmm. It
3: just sort of seemed like a very improvised yeah. sort of tactic of how do you increase the tension? Okay, we, we take what we're feeling now and we just make it way more intense. Where it's like, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense that like, oh, hey, yeah, you had to go pick up your drunk sister and we are hoping that she would babysit the next day and we don't even know if she'll be sober enough by the morning by the time we have to leave. I get that. That's, that's, a, that's a really good plot point. But when it's just, we can't trust her. She got drunk. Okay, and? Like, what, what else is there to that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Basically, everyone gets drunk. Obviously, some people don't drink, and some people have issues with alcohol and things like that. But, like, it's not like that family are teetotalers, and they're like, we don't condone drinking. It was just, she got drunk one
2: night. And I would also say it it's okay. like yeah. supposed to be her first night back. I, I assume in their hometown. Yeah, maybe she was jet kind lagged. She just got broken up. Well, I just thought it's like, like. kind of like you come back home for the first time. You're you're meeting people that maybe you're seeing people you haven't seen in a while, and it's like, oh, okay. Like you just go, yeah. have some fun. But yeah, uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. That that is quite a weird kind of gap in the film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really liked the the arc though with her getting along with the, the wife. It started out. I thought it was kind of like a weird plot line to go down. Like, oh, we're gonna make you really rich by writing erotica but I thought that was just a really interesting way of I guess having them bond and it just felt like or well like one of the more creative decisions in the movie I guess because I guess I never really thought that would lead to them bonding honestly but then it did I thought that was a cute little arc that I guess kind of wraps up in the end so that was kind of nice
2: I think Melanie Linsky's given the most interesting character with the most interesting character arc like The idea that she's, you know, when they ask her, oh, what do you do for a living? And she's like, oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But she felt the need to like justify it. And then from there, it's clear that, well, she's actually not that fulfilled by quote-unquote just being a stay-at-home mom. um, And that she actually has other aspirations that she wants to achieve. And now they're actually in a place, like her and her husband are in a spot that maybe she's able to get some childcare and so she can actually take care of it. So I think she, she is probably the more of of all the, the, I guess, the three main characters, she's the one that has definitely the most interesting arc of the three of them.
0: I read an interview with Joe Swanberg about this movie, and it sounds kind of like that's, I mean, that's exactly what he says as well. I think that, like, this movie was probably written for Melanie Linsky's character because Joe Swanberg says, said this movie was inspired by the fact that him and his wife were both artists working in the industry. He's a filmmaker. I don't know what she did. I think she was also a filmmaker or working in the film industry. But then they got a young son and they were basically at the point where one of them can work and one of them has to stay at home and they fell into traditional gender roles that they'd never had to deal with before, that they'd really never been a part of. So that's what this movie is about is basically a couple falling into traditional gender roles that they're not familiar with, basically.
3: So can we talk about then the uh, chubby old man baby?
0: Oh yeah, he's the best part of the film.
3: That that kid looked like he was like 70 years old.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Also, I know that everything he was doing was improvised, but I think he's the best improv actor of the group.
3: The chubby old man baby?
0: Yeah, when they told him to go, he just went, and like, he definitely (laughs) stole each scene, and also led each scene. Like, He was definitely dictating what was going on anytime he was on any time he was on screen.
2: Anyone know, was it one baby or did they use two like a twin? No,
3: it was one baby. It was the director's kid.
0: Oh. I was gonna say, Joe Swanberg seemed like the only person that could really reel him in, and that makes sense. (laughs) There is the scene where she
2: introduces he introduces the baby to Anne Kendrick's character and like he goes to kiss the baby on like the mouth. And at first I was like, that's kind of a weird thing to do to an actor baby. I was like, it's not your baby, but this makes more sense. Okay. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's okay. The actor baby could That's okay.
2: Him. Well, the actor baby didn't, but the actor baby's parent did. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but I did I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of
0: awkward, but this makes a lot more sense. It's that that's his kid. I guess just to touch on um, something that you guys all but all mentioned earlier i think really the strongest part of this movie for me was obviously melanie linsky's character arc but like the scenes that have melanie linsky and lena dunham and anna kendrick or even just melanie linsky and anna kendrick i think were the strongest even from a dialogue angle i think that i think those three had pretty good chemistry where for example. I'm sure that Joe Swanberg and Anna Kendrick get along famously in person, but I don't think they had that good of on screen chemistry. I mean, the one scene that I put up as my example of why I don't like the improv in this is exactly that. It's just her and Joe Swanberg. And like, it's one of many scenes that are very similar to that. But when she was on screen with Melanie Linsky and to a slightly lesser extent, Lena Dunham, I think that that worked a lot better. Do you guys think that that has anything
2: to do with the fact that Joe Swanberg was also the director? Like he was pulling double duty. So in the time that he's acting, he's also thinking about the direction of the film. Whereas when he's out of it and he Mm -hmm. just lets, he just gets to be only a director.
0: That definitely could be.
1: That makes sense.
0: Because I'd imagine... You know, in that one scene where he sits there silent for three minutes, I, I can definitely see how all of that silence could have just been his mind racing. Like, where do I go? This scene determines what the next scene is going to be. What do I make here that I can build off of? You know, I don't know if that's exactly what was going through his head, but as the director, he would be thinking of a lot of things anytime he's in the scene as well. So I, I would get that. Any, any final closing thoughts? On happy christmas before we move on i am happy
2: to have like watched it i will say that because i i don't think i would have come across it if i hadn't done this so thank you for that i i don't and i like and i liked it i thought it was good and like i'm glad i glad i discovered it and watched it and maybe i'll be into mumblecore now It'll be my thing
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> i guess for me I, the only thing i want to ask everyone is sort of we didn't really talk much about the Uh, Anna Kendrick Mark Webber storyline in this did that work for anyone I thought for me it was it was a very interesting dynamic where I like when you're sort of in the the early stages of dating you don't really know exactly what you are whether you're just hanging out even if you're like hooking up that doesn't mean you're actually dating or not dating and so I like that but then their final breakup much like the the what I was talking about earlier where sometimes they were just turning improv up to 11 that I sort of felt where their breakup was kind of them turning the improv up to 11 again and it really didn't work for me. If they had been like, oh, hey, yeah, and I got to go fly home for Christmas. I don't know when we'll be able to see each other next, and they're kind of just left hanging, like, so are we together, or was this just, like, a little fling sort of thing that we had? I think I would have appreciated that a bit more. But other than that, I like the rest of their scenes together and their arc together. Did did that work for you guys or no?
1: I I didn't like it. (laughs) No?
0: Okay. (laughs) I... I, I think I mostly agree. I, I actually agree with you a lot on that. I think that, um, I think ultimately the, the Anna Kendrick, Mark Webber romance was, there wasn't a whole lot of it there. It was re- it felt very small in the movie, even though it was basically the biggest B-plot. Um, but I think that, uh, I, well, I mean, a lot of it felt very awkward, but exactly what you said, like it it did feel, I think it might've felt maybe to me the most authentic in a relationship in that movie because a lot of the improv made this movie feel at times weirdly inauthentic because exactly what you're saying, they're dialing it up to 11 or maybe the people that are on screen don't have the best chemistry. Uh, some of the relationship, like some of the dialogue feels like they're saying this because they need to fill lines in, not necessarily because this is actually what they'd be saying. But I felt that the Anna Kendrick, Mark Webber stuff maybe wasn't the best dialogue in the movie, I guess. But it was, um, it did feel very realistically awkward, if that makes sense. And then at the very end, yeah, the only part of it that I didn't like is at the very end, I felt their breakup, obviously their breakup was going to be sudden because the way this movie is structured, I don't think that Anna Kendrick... Anna Kendrick's character could have left this movie's plot without, while still being together with this person. But it felt very abrupt. And I honestly didn't get it. Like, I think I may have tuned out what exactly the issue was. But at one point, she just kind of starts yelling at him because he has said the wrong thing. And I don't necessarily, I don't sympathize with either party because I completely missed the actual reason they broke up. It felt very abrupt so if i'm not mistaken
2: i think I'll, I'll, so okay they break up because uh was it he says he has to go see his family he has to go spend time with his family and then she kind of flips out at him is that how they break up i just that, that's that's what, what i, I think.
1: think
0: right so
2: i didn't actually realize that they broke up until you just said that to God. i thought they just got in a fight and then that was kind of it i didn't, that was I didn't it too, honestly
1: i think um, it was just left pretty open-ended i don't know if like, I guess Dakota said earlier, it wasn't a decisive, like, it just seemed like it. they left that day on bad terms before Christmas.
2: Which, I mean, she's yeah, I mean, a stupid reason for her to get upset, but then it kind of goes with the character of, mm-hmm. you know, being kind of selfish and, like, a bit immature about these types of things. So in mm-hmm. that sense, I kind of think it goes, mm-hmm. it is, it's a very, I don't know, it's a very dumb reason. Like, they could have come up with something, I think, a little bit more sophisticated as to why she's upset but maybe that's kind of the whole point is that it's something really basic that set her off
0: well like dakota was saying i i felt that that was kind of the reaction turned up to 11 like for improv reasons where maybe that could have settled at maybe like an eight
2: yeah
3: yeah because of the way the movie is framed we obviously don't know what happens next but like I would assume that if if they're trying to be as grounded and realistic as possible, if you're sort of in a fling where you don't really know what you are, where it's so easy to just be like, Oh, Hey, we sort of had a disagreement and now I don't know when I'll see them next. I guess we're not together anymore sort of thing because they don't really clearly define what they are. So maybe six months mm-hmm. down the line, he's like, Hey, you around, let's go get coffee or something like that. Like I could see yeah. that, but like, it makes it seem like, oh, this is this is a bit of a natural end for them at the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So this movie was a very, very low budget, mostly improvised movie that uh, it kind of feels like they had the story beats going into it, but they didn't necessarily have all of the uh, specifics. A lot of it was, if not necessarily made up on the fly, a lot of it was sort of improvised, at least to some degree not so much with the next movie we're going to talk about an extremely high budget christmas movie starring several big names and one of disney plus's first originals noel uh-huh. This
2: is my hyperactive little reindeer. My name is Noelle Kringle.
3: Morning, princess. My partridge in a pear tree underwear needs washing. Oh, well, then my Christmas wish has been granted. Christmas runs in my family. My dad was Santa, and now it's my brother Nick's turn to wear the hat.
1: Stocking full of coal, if I've ever seen one.
3: He saved a kitten from a tree.
1: Some nice.
3: Will your brother be ready by Christmas? Of course, he's a Kringle. I'm to do
0: this, happen. In this movie, I mean, I can describe the whole plot, and I will. But it's basically Elf with a girl, <laughs> like straight down to the story beats. Noelle is Santa's daughter, which I guess is marginally different than in Elf. And her brother is supposed to be the next Santa, but he doesn't want to, so he goes to Arizona and it's up to Noel to go to Arizona and bring him back to the North Pole. Meanwhile, Billy Eichner, who's I believe best known for his role as Timon in the (laughs) most recent adaptation of The Lion King, uh, he takes over the North Pole as the new Santa, and he determines that there are less than 3000 nice kids. So delivering presents should be very easy, but the elves don't like that very much. So Noel has to save Christmas. This is a very different movie than Happy Christmas. And I am interested to know what all of you guys think, but I'm most interested to know what Rachel thinks because Rachel hasn't mentioned this yet. Yeah, I really hated this movie. My God.
2: <laughs> I mean, I was watching it and I think I got to guys. Like, the 20-minute mark and I I looked up I was like, oh God, this movie's got to be over soon. I'm like, holy hell, I still have an hour left of this thing. I was... <laughs>
3: Guys, I wish I could share the live play-by-play text I was getting today from Rachel describing what oh, was happening. Man. I was out shopping at the mall. It just made my day. I was just And I was I was sharing them with my wife who watched the movie with me, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I agree." It's
2: just I don't I don't understand who the movie is for. At first, I thought, "Oh, it's like it's for kids." And I kind of I had that mindset like it's a family movie, it's for kids. So you can't expect like crazy raunchy humor. You're not going to expect some deep meta thought about Christmas or commercialization or whatever. I don't know what I was expecting, but I thought it's going to be like a nice family movie. And I watched it and I was like, this isn't a family movie. It's not funny enough for kids. It's not cute (laughs) enough for kids. I was like, so I don't, I just don't know who the movie's for and i was like this is a waste of space on disney plus and disney plus is so much space but yeah i just i didn't i just <laughs> didn't get it like i didn't understand the point of the movie it was all like none of it was even kind of like corny funny it just kind of happened and then they were throwing in these things of like oh feminism and oh like algorithm and and amazon and google and i was like what the hell is this i just yeah i really didn't like the movie i like sat back and i went you didn't
3: find the punchline oh my garland funny I, you know oh my goodness <laughs> i like,
2: literally, I was like oh it's my been garland a long time since i've been like angry at a movie I, feel like, <gasps> I was like what the hell was this crap i was like jesus and i went out I, I literally had to step outside and we right now so i'm in toronto and right now we have this crazy windstorm thing happening today and i stepped outside just to like stand there to like refocus myself because i'm like that movie was so annoying and then it got a little windy and so i went back inside but yeah i yeah i really didn't like that movie though just i don't see anything redeemable about it i love bill Hader. that's the other thing i'm a huge bill Hader fan so when this movie came out i remember hearing about it because of him and then i I didn't end up i just kind of forgot about it um probably because they said it was on disney plus and i didn't have disney plus at the time so i was just like okay whatever and there's not much bill hater in it he's really not in it that much and so i don't really know why he's on the poster or gets like second billing because he's really not in it <laughs> and it's more about you know anna kendrick and um i don't even remember his name the guy in arizona who keeps king. wearing arizona sports team
0: shirts like what the hell is that about king, kingsley benedict <laughs> that,
2: that was king that oh my god <laughs>
0: Yeah. Did you not remember that know, we were talking yes, about that until a few
2: days ago? Together, yes. My goodness, he did that. But we determined he did that before One Night in Miami, though, right? Because I was like, this yes. movie was shot mostly in 2017. Okay. So I said, if he did that after One Night in Miami, he needs to fire his agent asap because, my <laughs> God, what a step down! But yeah, no, I didn't like that movie. Just to sum it all up, I really didn't care for it. Yeah, I completely
3: agree. Like this might be one of the five worst movies I've ever seen. And it basically <laughs> comes down to how the hell do you have Shirley MacLaine, one of the greatest actresses of all time, Bill Hader, one of the most genius comedic actors who is somehow transitioned to being one of the best serious actors of the last decade, Kingsley ben who I would position arguably as the best part of One Night in Miami as he plays Malcolm X in a way that, completely separates himself from Denzel's Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Billy Eichner who, granted, he can be very grating at time when he really gets into the Billy Eichner shtick. Uh, still absolutely hilarious. How do you have all of these fantastic actors and just neuter them all? They take away anything that is funny or interesting or unique about these performers. Like, I don't think Bill Hader wanted to be in this movie. What contract did he sign with Disney that made him be in this movie? Every single scene he was in, he looked bored, apathetic, out of touch, not paying attention. Like, he basically just mumbled through his lines like he was in Happy Christmas. What the (laughs) hell was up with this movie? And... How did all of these agents get their clients to agree to be in this movie?
2: I guess it's the Disney pull, isn't it? It's like it's a Disney movie, so you think that there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. And then it doesn't even...
3: Hey, Bill Hader, I know you're busy creating and starring in your own critically acclaimed TV show. That's one of the best TV shows on right now. But how about you get a fat paycheck from Disney to do nothing?
0: That's true. Billy Eichner and Bill Hader, who both have a lot of experience playing very eccentric personalities in their comedy, are playing so toned down to the point where they are basically unrecognizable, except that they both have very recognizable faces. But like, they're so far removed from their comedic personas in this. It is actually shocking
3: billy eichner is basically playing your young cousin with like cheeto dust on their fingers going up to you at like a holiday meal being like you got games on your phone <laughs> except exactly. where he's 35
1: it's confusing too because they aren't necessarily huge draws for kids or even like huge they box office draws with in general billy eichner is. yeah exactly. so it's weird that they or bill them specifically and then tone them down to play completely different characters than they're known for Hey, kid, you
3: know Stefan?
1: <laughs> no. Well, you're going to love him in Noel. Well.
2: But that goes back to the idea of like, who is this movie for? Because that's actually a really good point, Pierre. It's like you put in these actors like Bill Hader, Billy Eichner, like comedic people who are known to be kind of have like kind of almost more R rated humor as well. Like I know that they can do PG stuff, but it's more like adult humor. So it's not exactly a draw for children. So I, I yeah, I just don't know who this movie was for.
0: Yeah, and I would say the interesting part of this movie, if there is an interesting part of it, and definitely like the more interesting part, if I were watching this through the eyes of a child, I guess, is the North Pole. Because, I mean, it's it's fun. It's colorful. There's a lot of eccentric characters. They say, oh, my garland. So, you know, that's the part of this movie that if this movie is marketed to kids, would be the draw. You can like it or not, but that's the part that's like, this is a classic Christmas movie. Basically, like... It's, it's the same kind of North Pole culture as in the Santa Claus. But the reason the Santa Claus is still held up as, you know, a classic kids Christmas movie, for the most part, is that they actually spend most of their time at the North Pole, where in this movie, they spend most of their time at a mall in Arizona, which while I think that has like, a couple of funny bits because i'm realizing i liked this movie an awful lot better than all of you guys (laughs) but like but while that's got like a couple of funny bits they that's also the best part of the arizona parts and they go out of their way to spend a lot of the time in arizona in single rooms in apartments that are not at the mall with the funny reindeer so it's a bit weird how every part of this movie that would be i guess marketable is they go out of their way to not actually feature those parts in the movie, which is very strange. I also want to say the sets
2: were terrible. Like the set designs were just like the North pole, whatever you can say it's, yeah, I get it. It's supposed to be Santa's village, whatever, but like Phoenix, it just looks so fake. And it's a Disney, like it's Disney for God's sakes. They have money. I'm sure they have better looking sets than that. Like, it's just unbelievable. Like they're clearly on a soundstage and it's just like, give them a better either it's better lighting to make it look more realistic or whatever, but the sets were really annoying to me too. If it were coming from like a tiny little indie studio, I would be a bit more forgiving on it. But, or if it's meant to be like, if it's kind of like satire of like, Oh, it's meant to be like a crappy set. That's different, Mm -hmm. but this is a Disney movie and I expect them to like give them the resources to make a strip mall look like a strip mall. It's, america they have so many strip malls like just go to one rather than filming on a clearly on a soundstage that is just looks i think it looks absolutely terrible
0: disney very easily could have filmed this in a strip mall in phoenix arizona it's weird that they didn't but tommy hilfiger got like some really nice
2: like camera time on there (laughs) tommy i think Sachs got in there
3: I would even say that the CGI was, was pretty yeah, god-awful, too. Oh, it was like, bad. It was the
0: CGI bad. was really yeah. bad.
2: Especially the reindeer. Oh!
0: But I don't... CGI, I Why?
2: never understand. Because, like, sometimes it's... Like, even, I will say, even in Marvel movies, sometimes the CGI can be absolutely atrocious. And you, I just don't understand it because that's kind of a big part of the movie. And these are massive mm. studios that should be able to give to hire the best people to do the CGI and to give them enough time to, to like actually process it and do it properly. But when you have reindeer and the little is it a little reindeer or was it a goat? I actually could never I didn't <laughs> it really know confusing. What it was. It was a reindeer. Yeah. But
0: it looked it, terrible. Yeah. I like the adult reindeer a little bit better. I thought they looked a little bit better than the little reindeer, but that's because they didn't have as much screen time, I think. They weren't good either. But the little reindeer that like didn't even look like a reindeer looked very bad i like their version of like the sports guy chest
2: bump like when they're like knocking the antlers i was like yeah that's fun (laughs) it's like it's like like their best like yeah go onto the field or something that that i thought was fun it was like two seconds in the movie but whatever
3: it was awkward the scenes where they were stationed at this mall and they had all the reindeer just in the middle of this courtyard and it became a tourist attraction. And so people were like going to the pet food store to buy snacks to throw at them, although they're basically just throwing popcorn (laughs) and other human food at them. But what seemed really awkward was I feel like they animated that scene first and then just film uh, the humans after as opposed to filming the humans and then animating the animals yeah, around the way that they were throwing the popcorn and the treats and things like that. And so it like just looked really fake of like, oh, hey, you've got like people throwing crap at these animals, but they're just kind of throwing crap and not looking at the <laughs> eyeline of the animals. <laughs> and then like one of the reindeers wearing sunglasses. It's just it just none of that CGI made and any also, where sense.
2: Where was Rudolph? Like, why isn't is not he there? Rudolph he is
1: always absent from Christmas. Like he's not in the Santa Claus movies either, from what I remember. Is
2: that a copyright thing?
0: Is that like they maybe, can't license actually. Rudolph? That might be why.
3: <laughs> like Disney couldn't afford that.
0: They had their own version of the of another reindeer, which like why? I yeah. think in the Santa Claus maybe maybe, maybe
3: that reindeer is baby Rudolph.
0: Like, maybe except yeah, no, no red, red nose, nose, but. Yeah. It and was, it was
1: kind of like no. a
2: goat as well. Like, I just, that little thing, I didn't really get.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it was an albino reindeer. It's diversity. Makes it's more
1: sense.
3: Now, on a non-CGI note, I sort of feel this movie is basically the equivalent of Airbud, where they're like, there's nowhere in the rule book that a dog can't play basketball. This movie is the equivalent of that, where it's like, there's nothing in the rule book that says a girl can't be Santa.
2: And then they go, yeah. we've just been doing this all this time, because that's what we think we're supposed to be doing. I'm like, guys, stop this. Just stop it. It's so pathetic. I was like... <laughs>
0: Well, it was such an easy plot point that was written into the movie as well that, like, she was just the best at being Santa Claus. And then at the end, she becomes Santa Claus because they decide that the rules don't say she can't.
2: And then the cool thing is, is when they pan to the crowd and all the men are like, you hey, can't be Santa Claus. And the women are like, yes, she can. <laughs> and I'm like, so
0: what's happening? <laughs> this is so stupid.
3: Feminist masterpiece, Noelle. That's no just
0: well. terrible. God. I think, to me, this movie felt like a big budget Hallmark movie, but like, yes, it had all of the staples of a Hallmark movie. I kind of want to say, but none of the heart, but I don't know if Hallmark movies have a lot of heart because I am not that into that movie scene. This felt like a Hallmark movie that they also paid people with recognizable faces to be in. And like I said, it's also just literally elf. It's weird that this movie exists, but it clearly does. I mean, why does it exist? Why there's no. Purpose it seemed like for they're
3: it. trying their hardest to like get the parents involved. Of like, hey, we're throwing you some jokes that you'll like. And if I was writing this movie, near the end of the movie, there's this scene where uh, Santa goes down, I believe it's Noel, Santa goes down the chimney, and it's a Jewish family. And they're like, we don't celebrate Christmas. Now, if I was writing this movie, I would keep that scene the same, but I would cast someone like Mel Brooks to be in it, be like, hey, we're a Jewish family, or something like that, where it's just like someone that's like so recognizably Jewish, that like at least the parents could be like, oh, I like that cameo, that
2: was funny. Instead, it was yeah. just like a, what? i was also confused why is this here i was a bit confused about the timing of that because presumably santa's supposed to go and everyone's sleeping why is this one jewish family still awake eating chinese food watching television because even the kids are awake
3: I, I i love the inclusion of the yeah because obviously that, that's, that's, a that's the detail. only way to
2: depict this properly <laughs> and out of those like paper <laughs> boxes as well so i'm just yes. like which i mean i've never actually eaten out of one of those things but that's fine um, <laughs> It tries to play a lot of lip service, I think, to a lot of different things, and it's very obvious. It's very like that's a very Disney thing to do as well, is to pay lip service to different kind of social issues and things like that without actually doing anything about it, like or without actually exploring <laughs> it properly. But again, this this kind of movie I don't think is meant to explore that kind of stuff. Like that's not the place for it. It's just supposed. It should be just a family fun Christmas movie where santa claus's daughter becomes santa that's all i thought it was gonna be like they were gonna like tag team it i that's what i thought it was gonna be like i genuinely Mm. thought the movie was when i first heard about it with them because i hate her like i thought it was like a bumbling brother sister pairing like they both are kind of like bad at their job and they're learning how to take up the mantle of santa and they both do it together that's kind of what i thought it was Mm going to be like a buddy comedy of the two Which, I think, is a better movie. Disney. I
3: (laughs) I think they could have even still kept the plot point of... If they had written it like, okay, after Santa passes on, next in line is the firstborn child. Whether it's male or female, just firstborn child. So, great. It goes to Bill Hader because he's the older brother. And then he decides to abdicate the responsibilities and run away. And then they're like, great, he isn't here. Anna Kendrick, do you want to be Santa? and if it would it would have been a more interesting plot line if she says no thank you for offering me but i'd rather go find my brother he's been you know whatever they if they want to keep that he's been training this this sort of bs crap sort of thing but if at least they they sort of paid the lip service of let's ask her let's try to include her things like that and then she uses her agency to be like no my brother should be santa He always looked up to my father more. I'm closer with my mother, whatever, whatever sort of plot point they want to do. And then once that fails, then they sort of turn to the Billy Eichner as opposed to being like, well, Bill Hader disappeared. Who's the next guy that's around? It it just doesn't work where they're just like, we're just going to ignore the person who actually is the bloodline family and and move over. Like none of that made sense. Like they're trying to be feminist and be like, go young girls. You could be anything you want, even if that's Santa. And it like just all falls flat.
0: Well, yeah, because they have to create a, a system that doesn't even exist. So it's contrived by default, that just to exclude the female character from anything.
3: But it would have been more interesting if she turns it down first and then later accepts yeah. it. Because if she was like, "I need to find my brother. My brother is missing. That's my main concern. I don't care about this Christmas stuff. I, I miss my brother, and he's a part of the family. I need to find him to see if he's okay." If mm-hmm. they had included that as the storyline, if that was the the rationale of her going to Arizona, it would have made way more sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Anything would have made more sense.
0: Than did, <laughs> to be completely honest.
3: Literally, yes.
0: But I guess, like, I think you asked, like, what is this movie for earlier? And this movie is clearly designed to be running in the background while you're opening your Christmas gifts. But like, it, honestly, I don't. I'm actually not even sure it's the best movie for that. No, them. there's many other movies that you can do instead of that. You know, well, me and my, yeah, me and my family, yeah, you know. my, okay. my go-to is Team America. my
3: my go-to is put on a burning log on YouTube. That's a better option. There used
2: to be a channel that did that. What was the? There was like a channel on TV when we were kids that used to just be on Christmas Day.
3: Yeah, yeah. If you've got like one of those like DVR settings or whatever, where you've got like five thousand channels, there's definitely a Christmas log you channel. Could
2: literally have silence, and then that would be a much better thing to have than this stupid movie <laughs> in the Like my God. Back in my day, we open presents and just silence. In silence. Just you just sit in the awkwardness of your family and just be happy with it. Okay.
0: Back, in, back in 2014, I had a movie review column uh, where I reviewed just movies that were on Netflix. And one of them at the time, Netflix had just released a three-episode series of uh, Fireplace for Your Home. So I went through and reviewed all three episodes. I believe the second one was the strongest. But anyway, if they still have Fireplace for Your Home on Netflix, watch episode two. That's the best one. Three, not good. One? Does it does it have, like, the guy poking the log and stuff? Everyone always asks that. You'd be surprised at how many times I get that question when I bring up that Those story. Those
3: are the best.
0: Those the, are the answer best. is no, actually. The one yeah, that I was know. on Netflix in 2014 did not. Do they update Garbage. them? Garbage, I'm not have watching that. Have they been that. updating them? You keep saying like, are they updating them? I think they may have, because I, I looked it up a year later, and Netflix had, like, several things which I would describe as virtual backgrounds, like they had a fish tank aquarium. They had like two or three different fireplace for your homes. So I don't know how many they have on Netflix right now, but the 2014 version is very good.
3: They're on season five now, Rachel. Keep yeah. up.
0: <laughs> if I don't
2: watch season one, though, am I going to be lost in season five if I just jump in right now? Probably. Is that Pro- how that Probably, works? yeah.
0: Okay. So the last thing I want to ask is this, is, this is what we do after every one of our episodes. I want to ask you guys, where do both of these movies rank for you in terms of Anna Kendrick's performance in the movie and in terms of the movie itself in her filmography? I can say
2: generally, I would put Noelle clearly at the bottom, like near to the bottom. And if she has something worse than Noel, then that is, that's a shame. That's really, really a big shame for her. Twilight. Okay, I've never seen Twilight, so I actually don't know if it's, I assume it's not great, but. Is she in it, like, does she have a big part in Twilight? Is she,
0: like, a big role in She has a decently sized part in the first one. And I would say that contextually, of all of her roles, her most important role in that is in the second one. But she's actually in it for um, progressively less time in every movie until the last one that she's not even in.
2: It's probably because she got success with, like, Up in the Air. And so it was like, well, I'm not going to do that crap anymore. <laughs>
0: Well, also there's no human <laughs> characters in the last one, basically. Fair enough.
2: Um, so yeah, I, I would put Noel definitely towards the bottom of her repertoire. Happy Christmas. I would put probably like middle to top. I would say like probably in the top half of her career or her career, her um her filmography. <laughs> I really did like that movie. Like I think it's it's a solid effort, and she's good in it in terms of her performance. I guess she's not bad in Noel. It's like, it's just, she's not given a lot to work with, but it is just like a very, it's not a shining performance from her either. It's just kind of, I think what we come to expect of her almost, like she was exactly Mm -hmm. how I thought she would be in that movie. Yeah. So yeah, I would, Noel, I just put down like, I wish it just didn't exist, let's be honest. But um, yeah, Happy Christmas. I I would be put middle, middle to top. That's where I would put it in. Yeah, I, th- I think that's
3: that's pretty fair. I would probably say something similar. I, I've, I've only seen New Moon of the Twilight movies, and I don't remember her in it or much of that movie. I, I've tried to block that out of <laughs> my head because it was so terrible. I, I, would lo- I really would love to see her to do more stuff like Up in the Air. I didn't talk about it earlier, and... Much like in your episode about End of Watch. I absolutely adore that movie. That would probably be if I was to actually like name my favorite movies of her that she's been in, it's probably the second one after Scott Pilgrim. I really love that movie. But you're right, that that her performance, it literally could have been played by anyone because there's there's nothing to that character mm-hmm. and and there's nothing unique about it. So I'd if if that was a, a bigger role, a juicier part, something that that actually mattered, that would be interesting. I would love to see her to do more movies like that or up in the air where they're a little more adult and interesting, and and there's actually some some interesting conflict going on. Noel, Noel sort of epitomizes if you don't like Anna Kendrick, this is like the epitome of that where it's, she's, she, she could be a little grating and a little too in your face and too cheerful and too bubbly. And it's just like, you're, you're too much for me right now, Anna, you need to calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like taking her character from pitch perfect and like taking it to the next level. Yeah. I've only seen the first two pitch perfect, so I can't really comment on the third one, but it's, a, it's sort of a, a similar type of character to that. Obviously with Noel being much more childlike, but I would put happy Christmas, up there, probably. And I've only seen, according to Letterbox, I've only seen eleven of her movies. I would probably put it in in the top five.
0: Mm-hmm. Pierre, you want to go next? You're if we're going down from left to right, you're most right on my screen.
1: I'd say for movies, are we giving them numbers? Or are we just saying upper lower?
0: Um, up up to you. I think I'm I'm probably just gonna say upper okay. and lower.
1: I'd say I'd say both of them are lower for sure. I'd actually say though. I didn't really like Anna Kendrick in uh, Happy Christmas, so I'd still say lower for, for her performance. I actually thought she brought up Carried Noel kind of hard, like, it still wasn't good, but, like, I think the, the role actually suited her pretty well. I guess she was enjoyable to watch, so I'd give her, like, I'd, I'd say that was, like, more mid, maybe actually upper tier for Anna Kendrick, actually.
0: I feel like with Noelle, kind of to build off of what Pierre and Dakota said here, I feel like Noelle, when she got the role, it felt like a role that was written for her, except that it wasn't written for her because it was an interesting acting role. It was written by someone who enjoys the very bog standard Anna Kendrick performance we've come to expect. So, that, so whoever was writing the role wrote that role and then cast the person that, you know, was the most that in that role. When you say it epitomizes what you probably don't like about Anna Kendrick, if you don't like her. Yeah, that's exactly it. It seems like someone watched Pitch Perfect 2, and then said, I want that, but I want it to be Santa Claus. (laughs) I would say that in terms of, in terms of like, where both of these movies rank overall, for me, I put them both pretty low. The only thing that I've personally seen, but we haven't actually talked about it on this podcast, so I'm breaking my rules a little bit, that I like less than either of these movies. I would say that like my bottom four are, I put Noel just above Elsewhere, and then I would put uh, Happy Christmas at the bottom of the things we've seen. I disliked Drinking Buddies more, personally. But I think I've also made it very clear that is a film genre that I really just don't think is for me. So, I mean, Clearly you guys liked Happy Christmas a lot more than I did, and that's great. It wasn't really for me. That said, in terms of performance, I would put her performance in Happy Christmas as like one of my favorite of hers, because I think that like, her basically having a role that's not, that that lets her use the charisma she's known for, but also lets her act a little more natural, I think she was a better part of that movie. And I think that, Of the movies I've seen her in, where she's allowed to do that, those are her best roles. Actually, like I just said, Drinking Buddies, another Joe Swanberg movie, is actually at at the very bottom of my list. And yet, for a while, that was my favorite Anna Kendrick performance, just in general. I don't like the movie, but I thought she was great in it. And then, in terms of Noelle, she's fine. I'd probably put it around... I guess around Pitch Perfect, probably well way less than Pitch Perfect because it is just her role in Pitch Perfect, but in Pitch Perfect, it's not a role that was written for her. It's a role that like allows her to do a couple of things. And like she just happened to be good in that role. That wasn't like someone wrote that to be Anna Kendrick. That just is a role that she happens to be very good at where this one feels almost like transparently, we want exactly that. And so it feels like the pitch perfect role, but I would say it's significantly worse just because it doesn't feel like that because she's doing the same thing. It feels like that because someone wanted it to feel that way.
1: I can agree with that.
0: We've been going a little long here. So I think before we end off here, I want to ask you guys, where can listeners find more of you? And uh, what are you guys working on right now?
2: Rachel? Oh
0: boy uh you can get me (laughs) you didn't (laughs) prepare this today i wasn't thinking about i thought
2: about it i go are they gonna ask me that but i go no probably not um yeah you can go find me on my website rachelkh.com i have reviews up there i mentioned it on our podcast but there is an end of year list best of film and there's another list best of television on exclaim.ca that i helped put together um so yeah you can go check that out and there's going to be some more end of year stuff coming up as well
3: yeah, Rachel's a, a real fancy pants, real writer. Mm. Uh, her stuff gets gets published in some in some actually high profile stuff. So I'm always very <laughs> jealous of of her work. Uh, her her end of the year list was very excellent. I really, I really like that her contributions to that exclaim article. But uh, you can follow ContraZoom Pod on, on any podcast, catcher, app that you have, We're on Twitter and Instagram at ContraZoom Pod or the website ContraZoomPod.com. Uh, our most recent episode was a, was a little fun one that we did. Uh, if you want to get to know my movie tastes a little bit better, it's called This or That, where Rachel uh, stumped me with a bunch of questions. Our most recent A24 episode, we went into The Spectacular Now. So if you're a fan of the A24 series movies, definitely check those out. But yeah, we have one more episode after this before our Christmas hiatus.
0: And of course, I will link to all of those things in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I hope that we can get you back for an episode that I won't talk about just yet. This episode should actually come out on Christmas Eve. So I think that this is our Christmas hiatus, but with any luck, people will hear us again very, very shortly for a section that in my spreadsheet, I called Anna Kendrick as a leading lady. So we're finally getting into all of her lead roles and we're gonna start with the Mark Peace experience.
2: Thank you so much for having us on. This was really interesting. Fun. You got me to watch movies yeah, that I never really knew in years and would have watched. One for the better, one for the worse. <laughs> that's That's cool. <laughs>